From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. If you are someone's healthcare proxy and you're trying to follow their wishes, what happens when different members of their healthcare team give you a differing prognoses? Well, this segment, we're going to focus on um, how experts go about coming to a resolution. So here in the studio with me are two professors of bioethics and humanities who are part of the team at Upstate that provides ethics consults in a variety of patient situations. We have Dr. Thomas Curran, who has a, a background in neonatology and pediatrics, and Dr. Robert Olick, who specializes in law, end-of-life issues, and the physician-patient relationship. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Thank you. So we ought to say up front, too, that this is a de-identified case, and situations like this come up in the hospital. And So maybe you... Uh, Dr. Kern can explain um, this situation. Sure. Well, uh, to, to reiterate, uh, we would, of course, we de-identify de all these cases to protect uh, patient confidentiality. Uh, and uh, with that being said, uh, this is based on a case that we actually uh, did with our consulting service uh, recently. So Mr. C was a 70-year-old male. He had a complex medical history with a terminal gastrointestinal cancer. Um, he had a very, very rocky course that included multiple major abdominal surgeries. And in fact, he had a large open abdominal wound when we consulted on him because he it was so sick they couldn't even close him up. Uh, he, he had had decisional capacity until uh, about 14 days before we were consulted uh, when he developed a severe pneumonia that required him being put on a ventilator. And uh, so when we were consulted uh, by the healthcare team, they wanted to help clarify his goals of care. His healthcare proxy was his sister, uh, Claire, and she stated that uh, Mr. C had told her that he would be willing to have a trial of ventilation, but he would not want to live the rest of his life on a ventilator. And as you may imagine, that is a difficult situation to, to quantify exactly what it means. Okay. Does stuff like this kind of situation probably happens frequently? Certainly when someone gets becomes very ill, it's not unusual to have multiple different uh, hospital um, teams seeing the patient, and it's also not unusual for different teams to have different opinions about how it's all going to work out. It's, doctors disagree with each other all the time. Sure. So how do you counsel the patient's family or proxy like, who do you believe in that situation? Is it necessarily the head doctor, or is it necessarily the doctor who's telling you what your heart wants to hear? How do you... Well, I think as an ethics consultant, um, we don't sort of choose who to believe or who not to believe, but we try to facilitate um, better communication, better understanding. And in this sort of case, where you're looking at the possibility of a time-limited trial, which is a, a kind of scenario that will come up sometimes even when patients don't specifically request that. Um, while on the one hand it's a value judgment and the ultimate decision uh, more often than not most of the time rests with the healthcare proxy based upon the patient's wishes and values, um, those wishes and values rely, their implementation relies very heavily on the um, accuracy of the clinical information and the um, uh, prognosis for how long perhaps to go with the uh, ventilatory support uh, before you have a level of um, assurance and certainty that uh, the patient's not um, getting any better or not having the kind of situation that they uh, would want. Is there um, a desire to get the caregivers to sort of reach a consensus or? So in this case in particular, something that the general public probably doesn't know uh, because they don't do it is that you can't stay 
intubated for an indefinite period of time. You typically have about two weeks to be intubated, and at the end of that time period, you either have to have a tracheostomy or get extubated. And so the, the hospital is working from the perspective of, we're, we're going to have to pick a, choose a fork in this There's road to do frame. something. And so the, 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 way, the, the way we try and, I, I don't want to say build consensus, but we try, and have a, we try and set up a group meeting where the various services are represented and let them kind of give what they, their view of the medical prognosis and, and with the healthcare proxy present as well. And those meetings sometimes provide clarity and sometimes pre present more confusing circumstances. And in this particular case, uh, the different services had very different views about how this was going to turn out. I mean, uh, to make it simple, one service thought she was going to get better and come off the ventilator, and the other service thought that she was terminally ill and was, not, was never going to get better. And this wow. is what the healthcare proxy is hearing. Wow. And then they have to decide, based on the conversations they had previously with their loved one, brother, in this case, you know, what, the, what they would want. Yeah, so as the, as the non-physician here, um, I should say that um, physicians very often face the challenge of how to present situations of uncertainty. You know, um, what is the probability of um, ventilatory support um, leading to some level of uh, stability or uh, modest recovery? What is the probability that the patient in this case will uh, never get better? And you know, how long would we want to continue the ventilatory support as a trial uh, before we can be more certain of which way uh, the outcome would be? Uh, and so they face the challenge of presenting that kind of information, often in probabilities, but in other terms, uh, in this case to the healthcare proxy and more broadly to the family. So that's the science part of it. Does religion ever become part of the conversation? Does the proxy bring it up, or does anyone on the team? Absolutely. Every patient comes to the table with their own host of things that they value in their lives, and certainly religion is a fairly common one to help provide guidance. In this particular case, some physicians are more comfortable about talking about death than others, and so they came communicate more effectively when talking about death. Uh, and some families, and not unusually religious families, are more comfortable hearing about death because they think this is not the end. And so that's, you know, it provides them some comfort. Uh, so yes, in, in this particular case, it was, not, uh, it was not something that was brought up, but it definitely is, is a factor in, in multiple cases we've dealt with. So that could enter in too. Let me remind listeners, uh, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with two ethicists, Drs. Thomas Curran and Robert Olick, both of whom are part of the Ethics Consult Service at Upstate University Hospital, and we're discussing the sort of the predicament a healthcare proxy may find themselves in, um, trying to follow their loved one's wishes. So if a patient has written in their advanced directives that they don't want to be kept alive on a ventilator, is that a clear-cut instruction that's easy to follow because it sounds kind of straightforward but what do you think um yeah it depends on the circumstances uh so the idea of saying that you don't want to be sustained on a ventilator um, is a judgment that is connected to a particular medical condition that you may find um, unacceptable 
where you would want to say, um, I don't want the ventilator because I, I prefer to have a comfortable dying process and to continue life on the ventilator under those circumstances um, is not something that I would want. Uh, so uh, to tie in a, a little bit to your earlier question about religious values, um, there's sometimes a perception that because the patient has put their wishes in writing, that that's all you need to know. But what in fact happens with a healthcare proxy is it's a, usually a very simple, straightforward document that appoints someone else to make decisions for you. And that person is um, tasked with the responsibility and the trust to make judgments about what you, the patient, would want when you're unable to decide for yourself based upon the totality of their knowledge of you as a person and the things you've said and the things you've put in writing. One of those things could be uh, religious beliefs and values that shape the uh, patient's uh, wishes for end-of-life care. Um, other things could be how active was the person, um, what did they value in terms of uh, their cognitive abilities compared to their physical um, abilities and functions uh, over the course of their lifetime, um, what were their um, commitments, say, to their dependents, to their spouse, to their children, and how does that shape uh, what they would want near the end of life. So the healthcare proxy is supposed to take all of those things into account, as well as the patient's best interest in, in reaching a judgment and a decision for uh, care. So it's got to be a different conversation in every situation because everyone's lives are, are different. It's got to be a much different conversation for someone if the patient's 40 versus someone who's 70. You mentioned end of life, but ventilators are sometimes, I mean, they're not necessarily only used at end of oh, life, right? Oh, absolutely not. Right. It can be used as an intervention for, a, the classic is a, a severe pneumonia where you require a ventilator for several days and, you, and you are restored to your former level of health. And that is a situation in which many people would choose to be on a ventilator. It is fundamentally different from having a tracheostomy placed, being put on a ventilator and sent to a skilled nursing facility with no reasonable hope for recovery. Many, many people would 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 uh, not choose that as a as as right. a way to live going forward because of as Rob mentioned, where's the quality of life people might ask in that sort of a situation? And that was in, in this particular case. That's exactly what this uh, Mr. C had said is that much like many of us would. I don't want to live like that. That's not that's not being alive in my estimation. Right. Okay. Um, is it enough for a person uh, who's going to be a proxy to just say that or? What I think I hear you saying is that there needs to be more of a conversation and understanding between the person and their proxy than what maybe a paper would reflect. Right. So to emphasize um, the point that Tom just made, the key concept in these decisions often is irreversibility. Whether the patient's um, progression toward of disease and illness, uh, progression towards potentially um, the dying process is reversible or not. And typically patients, when they say, I don't want a ventilator or I don't want a feeding tube, that's based on the understanding that their condition is irreversible and progressive in, in that direction. Uh, so the question about the trial would be, can it be reversed at all? Um, or will it continue to be an irreversible progression uh, through the dying process? Um, and in, in this sort of case, what we would hope is that we sit down and have a family meeting and that the proxy, the sister, uh, would have the opportunity to explain um, what she thinks her brother wanted, uh, 
why he talked about a trial, uh, what the goals and values um, in that decision were, um, and that together with the physician or the healthcare team explaining uh, more clearly what the prospects are, uh, and that typically can change pretty quickly over just a short sure. period of time, um, that they would reach a better understanding about what the proper course of care and treatment would be. Can you tell us how this resolved, or do you? Look well, like I, I, a couple things. One, it was I did the, actually did this consult, and it was clear that um, Claire deeply loved her brother. I mean, she was trying to represent. It was not about her; it was about him, and um, she was non-medical. Uh, they were from out of town, as many of our upstate patients. We have a big referral area, so it was a road trip for her, and she she had been visiting, you know, every, every day and. She go. She would go back to the fact that I was just. I just just had lunch with him at the. You know, mm -hmm. with him two weeks ago at his bedside, and he seemed so fine. So, you know, the, the, she wasn't really. She was trying to do her best, but she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready for him to die, and that's hardly unusual. Right. Uh, and so, I think that was one of the, the. That was one of the kind of rate limiting factors. And so, when we sat down with the group of, of docs and, and Claire, we recommended. One of, the, one of the big problems we had was we, there was too many chefs. She needed to get news from one source so that there would be one story. And everyone's admitted has a primary attending, and we felt that should be the person who, who uh, was speaking to her. Uh, and as it turned out, um, she was ultimately persuaded uh, that this situation may turn around. And, and, and in that instance, but, but because as I mentioned before, you can't be, be intubated in, in indefinitely, she consented to placing a tracheostomy, and um, Mr. C was transferred um, to a skilled nursing facility with a trach in a vent, and uh, I, f I felt like, I didn't think he was going to recover, uh, and so I felt badly that it, that it turned out that way, but it, it did... Um, Re-emphasize how Im important it is to have a really detailed discussion with your healthcare proxy. So, uh, I, I think I think ultimately Claire was comfortable with it, but I'm not sure that that's what Mr. C had kind of suggested. Not exactly to her. the resolution. Uh, yes, but still, this is a, this is a good case to point out uh, the discussion that needs to take place with this. So, I appreciate you both being here to talk about this. My guests have been Drs. Thomas Curran and Robert Olick, both professors from Bioethics and Humanities at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.